0: chapter number five. We're going to continue looking this morning at the the spirit-filled life. And uh, we're down here into where most men fear to tread, and that's talking about wives. And uh, not ooh, just uh (laughs) uh-oh, you know. But uh, it's a section here that uh, we begin looking at what a spirit-filled life looks like. That issue comes out of verse number 18, where The Apostle Paul says, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And uh, that issue of being filled with the Spirit, having the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, consume, control, filled, occupy, control all of your life, every every uh, component of it. Colossians chapter 3, the, the sister verse over in Colossians says that the word of Christ may dwell in you richly. And that issue... Of the Word of God coming in and, and saturating and taking control of all of the thinking processes of life. You, you know, you, you say that and you think about what does that look like? And that's kind of what we're going to be looking at here over the next couple weeks, talking about wives. Well, first of all, though, he says it starts with you, the individual. And he says, hey, for you, if the Spirit is controlling your life, And and again, what I'm talking about control is he works through the word, and then the word is going to impact how you think about things and how you operate and how you function. It doesn't change what you do. We all got up this morning. We ate breakfast. If you eat breakfast, you got a shower. If you got a shower, you dressed. If you got dressed, well, you got dressed. So, Okay. You did what you normally do, but in doing that, there's a thought process up to it. There's a thinking that goes in it. And when, and when the Spirit of God, the Word of God works effectually in you, that believe, gets in you and begins to want to dictate and rule you, here's what it's going to look like for you individually, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody in your heart to the Lord. There's going to be an inner harmony. There's going to be an inner peace also, verse 20, giving thanks always for you for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's going to be a heart of thanksgiving, an inter-heart, an inter-thought process of thanksgiving, of gratitude. And then in verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You're going to have a servant's heart. So you, personally... Way before you ever talk, we're going to talk about marriage and the family and the work life and so forth. Way before that, you, how are you doing? You have an inner harmony to you. You got a thankful heart. You got a servant's heart. That, way, that thing about being submitting, you're already doing that. All of us are to one another. Way before he says, verse 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. You know, way before we ever talk about wives submitting, what are we already doing to one another? Submitting. We already have that mentality. Usually now what happens is, is when you begin to talk about marriage, the mentality of verse 19, 20, and 21 goes out the door. And guess what? You're happy though married. Right? You know the old, the old saying is, is, nine out of ten husbands say that their wives are always right. The tenth husband we're still looking for. See? And the jokes begin. But when you come into scripture, you're already in a mindset of submitting one to another. You're already thinking about, hey, how do I esteem others, Philippians 2, better than myself? How do I do that? What is that going to look like? Then when you come into the issue of marriage, he starts with wives. By the way, ladies, notice there's only three verses to you. 22, 23, 24. There's like eight verses to the husbands. You know why that is, don't you, Ladies. Because men are a little thicker than the ladies. The ladies get this, the men are a little hard-headed. A little more going on, little, you know, get through that n- noggin a few more times. See, I see that back there, yeah. Okay, you know, see that's the thing. It's pretty straightforward here. The, 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 the message is very clear. Now, last time we got down and we went through verse 22 and 23 for the most part. I want to look at verse 24 this morning because here's where marriage, here's where the issues of the role of the wife come in. We're we're all, if you're in Christ today, you're blessed with all spiritual blessings. You're complete in Christ. You have all of the spiritual blessings that God intended for you to have, you have. He's made unto us all grace, all sufficiency, and all things. He's given to us, He's freely given to us all things. We have everything. So we're never talking about, when we talk about wives and we talk about husbands and children and parents and all this, you're never talking about inequality. The world talks like that. The world says there's an inequality between men and women. Well, not in Scripture. When you come to Scripture, everybody is at equal footing until you take on the role of a wife, the role of a husband. When you take on roles, you are, you are applying for a job. You're, going, you're on a new job description now. You never lost your equality. You're just now in a different role. Does that, You follow that? That's what we're talking about here. Okay, people, you, know, you, you get caught in the world, you get caught in the system out there, you know, and women only make 80 cents onto a dollar to a guy, you know, it's like, you know what, that's the world system. We don't, we, op, we, we live in that, we're what, in the world, but not of the world, is that how that goes, something like that, okay? You see, when we, and that's what we're talking about. What does a spirit-filled marriage look like? When the world sees your marriage, if you're married, that's who we're talking to, do they see a spirit-filled marriage? Better yet, when your children look at your marriage, what do they see? Where does a child, you know, children are wonderful creatures until they get to about two. And then they're not so good until they're about 25. See? But where do children learn? They learn from mom and dad. That's where they learn first. They learn from grandma and grandpa. They learn from their schooling environments. They learn by watching and seeing, and, and they're just like sponges. So what better place for a child to learn what a marriage should look like with you, with mom and dad? They should never have the world tell them what marriage is supposed to look like or family. The design is right here in Scripture. So look at verse 24 with me. Therefore, so that's going to drag us back up into what? 22 and 23, right? Wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, Now, watch carefully here how this verse says this. I'm going to put it in your thinking now, then we're going to depart from it, and we're going to come back to it. Therefore, as the church is subject unto unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in what? Everything. Do you see a comparison and a contrast here? As and... So, that great comparison now. Now, you got that in your thinking. Let's go back to Genesis 5. When you come back to Genesis 5, talking about here the issue, again, of marriage. Marriage is a creation institution. It's not created by the church. It wasn't created by the state. It's created by God on the in the in the blueprint. Proverbs eight talks about God having a blueprint for creation. He goes over and he's here's the blueprint. On that blueprint is marriage. Now marriage was was developed and designed in heaven, but it's implemented in the earth in man. By the way, in Genesis one, when he says, and he saw the day and the light and it was good. It it, it, it isn't that it's good in that. It was, it's good in that it matched the blueprint of what we wanted to do. Now, look at, look at Genesis 5. I said this last Sunday, and everybody kind of looked at me funny. Look at verse 1. This is the book of the generation of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. How did God make Adam? Do you remember we looked last time? Okay, hold on to that thought. I need you to read verse 2 male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name what adam in the day when he cre- when they were created when he he one humanity he called now come back to genesis 2 he called their name what adam not adam hyphened but adam so when you come back here into Genesis 1 and then in Genesis 2, and he creates male and female, created he them. He created them in, that pl- in his own image, if you remember, Genesis 1, in that plurality of fellowship. You remember last time, two's better than one. <laughs> we looked at Ecclesiastes there, and we began to look. But you have one humanity with two parts, the male and the female. You have to have one humanity. If you have two humanities, guess what you need? two redeemers you begin to have to have two 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 it's one humanity just as it is one god the godhead three persons but one you, you got to follow this i hope genesis 2 verse 18 and the lord god said it is not good that man should be alone i will make a help meet for him when you read that word help meet don't run it together Don't put it together. Don't hyphenate it. It's help, pause, count to ten, meet for him. She's a helper. She's to be there for a help, meet, qualified, that word meet, qualified, fit. The design of man is for him not to be alone. So God sets a situation here to teach man what? (laughs) He needs a what? He needs a help meet. He needs a, he needs a helper. He's needing something. So what does Adam do? Well, if you need something, what do you go? You go down to the store and you start looking for it, don't you? So, verse 19, and out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and he brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and the fowl of the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found help. Pause. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Meat for him. Okay? What did, Adam, what did God cause Adam to do? He causes Adam to study out the creatures, the animal kingdom. And he says, You know what? That looks like a bovine. We're going to call that cow. And we're going to do this. And I'm just picking on a cow because I'm hungry. All right? <laughs> And a hamburger sounds real good about right now. Okay? So he says, hey, that's what he is." But you know what Adam was noticing? Male and female. Because what do you have to have if you're going to have offspring? Male and female. What did Adam know? Man, I'm looking out here, and I ain't finding anything that's for me. That's what God wanted Adam to know. He wanted Adam to understand that Adam was not going to find his helper outside of himself somewhere else. Because what is Adam? Man, he's humanity. What's the animal kingdom? They're animals. They don't, they're not together. So what does God do? Verse 20. 1. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. What did did God do? He created Adam's helper, helpmeet. Adam's out looking. He couldn't find him, so God's teaching Adam something here. He's te- hey, out there in creation, guess what? You're not going to find her. She's going to come from you. She's going to come out of you. It's not going to be out there in the human, the animal kingdom. She's got to be part of you. She's designed to, to fit, help, meet. Meet, qualified. Over in Colossians 3, we'll get over there, we'll look at it. It says for the wives to submit to her husbands as is fit in the Lord. Fit. That issue of a hand and a glove fitting together. Her role, the wife's roles. Ladies, if you're married, this is your role. If you're not married, you're going to be married, this is your role. She's designed to fit the needs of her husband. She's suitable. She can conform to his needs. So the role of the wife, that's the issue here. That's what we're talking about in Genesis 2. That's what we're going to be looking at in chapter 5, verse 24. Her role is to be a help meet for him. She's qualified. God has equipped her to be the helper. Men are needy. What's Paul, what's Paul? What's Adam looking for? Help. So naturally man is what? Needy. God created a creature, a woman, to do what? Fit that need. Her design is to meet the needs that her husband is, is, ha- is going to have. And that's the only way his needs will ever be met. It's through a wife. There's no other way for his needs to be met. Can't look at an animal kingdom. Won't happen. Can't look over here and this doesn't happen. So the woman, the wife, by nature, is a what? Is a helper. No matter what the circumstances were that brought you together in marriage, you know, the googly eyes across the room, you know. When I walked in, the whole room went silent and there she stood. Or there he stood. Usually it's she. No matter that, no matter what brought you together, the wife is equipped with the capacity to be her husband's helper in everything. You follow? This is review from last week, but we're getting into what we're going to be talking about here. Therefore, this causes her to take on a... a, a role. However, it's, she's not a second-class citizen. She's not a subordinate class creation either. It's a choice, ladies, that you make. But when you make the choice to enter into the relationship of marriage, here's the role that you assume. If you don't like the role, don't get married. Pretty simple. If you like, if you want to, you know, you just got to have him. Remember that when in ten years he rolls over and he's not half a bull at the moment. Usually, I tell the young folks when we talk to them, I, you know, usually I say, in six months you're going to roll over and say, "Boy, what did I do?" Well, you married the dude, and and then, or she married, the, the she, uh, he married her, <laughs> okay? Because so here's the roles. Now, watch what happens here in verse 21. Where did God... When God made Adam, what did God do? Do you remember? He reached down and picked up dirt. I love that thing. If you want to be God, make your own dirt and then make your own universe. See, God reached down, took dirt. Adam was a cheap creation. He's really cheap. I think they analyzed dirt one time. It came out to like 12 bucks. That's cheap. Woman was created from the rib. That's a little better cut of meat, isn't it? Everybody likes some baby back ribs. (laughs) That's a pig, but anyway, there's there's some irony in that, I guess. But you think about where she was made from. The rib. That's not a cheap creation at all. Sometimes people think, ah, oh, the wives are just doormats and bop kick them. Not in Scripture, they're not. Adam was cheap. The woman wasn't cheap. She's created differently. She was taken, what? Out of his bones. That's why Adam's going to say, verse 23, And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam looks up and says, Whoa, wait a minute here. She's mine. She came from me. See? One humanity. Come on, hold, hold on to Genesis. Run back to 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3, verse 7. One humanity. Ladies, don't ever think that you, as a wife, talking about in the role of a wife, are a secondary class or a second-class citizen. You're never that, not in Scripture. And if your husband thinks that, then we'll have to meet with him and beat him over the head with some verses. Look, if you will, at 1 Peter 3. Look at verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands... Dwell with them, that would be your wives, your wife, according to knowledge. Boy, now, isn't that difficult? Yes, it is. Because wives, to you and to your husband, you are the most mysterious creature that ever walks the earth. And yet, Peter say, God says through Peter, to what? Dwell with her with what? Knowledge. Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not uh, be not hindered. No, you see that thing about weaker vessel? That's where everybody gets the second class stuff from. Not weaker vessel in second class, weaker vessel as in what? In that order of headship. That order of authority, the head, husband. Next week we're going to talk about headship. Okay, I'm not getting. Somebody accused me of running from it. I'm not running from it. I've just got an order here. When you talk about the man is the head of the wife, husband is the head of the wife, and then the, and Christ is the head of the church and everything. He's not talking about weaker. We're all equal here. He's rather he's talking about in a weaker position, in a subordinate position, only because of the role she took. Now, the end of the verse is what I was after. As being heirs together of the grace of life. Notice that, heirs together. Come back to Genesis 2. You are partners together in the things of life. That's what he's getting at. You, ladies, you are a help meet for him. You're a partner. We're going to see here in a minute about a companion, like the covenant of thy wife. We'll look at that over here in just a minute. And the thing is, is when God brought Adam in, in uh, verse 23, two, Genesis 2, 23, Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She's taken out of me. He's not putting her in a Secondary class, he's actually elevating her to the rightful position of being next to him. One humanity, not two. Only one. We all come from Adam. By one man, sin entered into the world. She's designed to come up and stand next to him to be his helper. Verse 24. Actually, she's designed to adapt, overcome What's the, the marine model? Overdone, overcome, adapt, improvise, blow it up. She's designed to adapt, to improvise, to overcome, in order to be the help meet for him. That's the capacity of the wife. That's her role. That's the position of the wife, however you need to say it in your thinking. Her job... It's to be the one who can adapt, improvise, overcome, and literally give herself to the place where she can be the helper her husband needs her to be. That's where it's at. Genesis 2, verse 24, you got the first marriage. ceremony. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. The three, the triangle of marriage, leave, cleave, and one flesh. The leaving issue is the establishment of an independent two-person unit. Leaving the old life, mom and dad, making a new unit, a new identity. Come over to Malachi chapter 2. The cleaving. That's that, that's that cleave. That's that wallpaper stuck to the wall. That's the monkey glue that's stuck. I'm stuck on you. I can't. I, you can try. Have you ever pulled wallpaper off the wall without first treating it? I have. Went all the way down to the stud. Took the drywall and everything down. And then I'm like, maybe I should have went to Home Depot. <laughs> or actually, maybe I should have called Keith. But I didn't know Keith at the time, so I couldn't have called Keith. You know what happens? You got. What does it do? That glue gets in there. That's the cleaving. That's that inseparable companionship among the two. Malachi two verse fourteen. Great verse here. Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth. Because when. Thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy, what? Companion. There's the cleaving. She's my companion. And the wife of thy covenant. There's the partnership. There's the, hey, I'm stuck on you, babe. And we're going to make a new unit, a new family unit. And back there in Genesis 2, verse 24, that's the one flesh. Where what? They become bone of bone and flesh of flesh. One composite unit of cooperating, interdependent. By the way, notice I said interdependent, not dependent. Parts that are working together to accomplish God's will. Leave, cleave, one flesh. That's what's happening. Come back to Ephesians 5. That's where we're at now when we come to verse 24. Because when we come to verse 24, we're going to see some things here about the cleaving. About the one flesh. About that Interdependent, cooperating unit now, because that's what verse twenty-four is all about. Ephesians five, verse twenty-four. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in every thing. This has to do with the wife becoming the helpmeet for him, for her husband. Now, this verse you have to carefully look at it because I'm going to say a couple things, and then I'm going to (laughs) duck. Okay? But just stick with it and think this through. Ladies, this verse is talking about you literally enveloping him with your life. You know what an envelope does? Stick it in and seal it. This verse is talking about you literally enveloping him with your life so that his needs are met by a companion who is capable and equipped by God to do so. Now think about that. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ... So let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Notice the picture carefully. Subject to, submitting to. Verse 22 there, verse 21. Submitting yourselves. You know, we're subject to the government and the laws and everything. That's what he's talking about. Now let's think about the flow here. As the church is to Who? Christ, so are the wives to the husbands, as and so. So the question is, how is the church subject to Christ? Because if I'm a wife, and I'm not a wife, okay, I'm a husband, but if I'm a wife, what do I want to know? How does this work? How in the world is this church subject to Christ? Because that's my illustration. If you look at verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. How did Christ love the church, husbands? He gave himself for it. See how how simple that is for you and me? Because we're blockheads. But look at what he said to the wives. You know why? Because the wives have already figured this out. Right, ladies? Right, wives? Yeah. Why? Because they're not blockheads <laughs> like us. You see? What do we have to have? How did Christ love the church? He, he did what? He gave himself for it. So how is the church then subject to Christ? And I'll be honest with you, ladies, wives, if you understand this, then things will be golden in your thinking. He's still a lumphead. He's still going to do what he does. But in your mindset and in your thinking, you'll have peace and tranquility. Even in the troubles, happy though married situations. Over there in Proverbs, he talks about a merry heart. <laughs> eh, about marriage. About a merry heart. Well, how do you have a merry heart? When, well, here's how. So do how, how do you... How do you member of the church, the body of Christ, give yourself to Christ. How do you do that? Well, come over to Philippians chapter 1. Do you guys follow what's hap- what we're talking about here? Therefore, because we understand what the role of the wife is, to be a helpmeet for him, to be qualified, to be suited to help him, my husband, in all of his needs. And again, that isn't going out and looking for the f- perfect fit. There's a crazy thing about but you fall into love. If you can fall into love, then you can fall out of it. See? This isn't about... I'm not talking about the physical attractions and the emotional things. By the way, those wane over time, too. They do. But we're talking about... You're in Philippians 1. Look look, look there at verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more... And feelings, no, in what? Knowledge and in all judgment. You see, you learn to love. Titus, he says, for the old, older women, the aged women, to teach the younger women to be obedient to their husbands, to love their husbands, to love their kids, to do. It's a teaching thing. It isn't that, oh, honey, I love you, moo, 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 because eventually one day you're going to roll over and that dude's going to be fat and ugly. And, or she might be. And the feelings go, she's fat and ugly. <laughs> right? I know I'll get in trouble for that, but that's, that's why we're not dealing in yeah <laughs> in the emotional side of this, we're, you got to think about this, okay? I'll get it later. Linda will hear about it. Dad called you fat and ugly. And, and she does. And she's not. Neither of those. But the thing is, as you begin to learn. Look, think about this with, with, as the church to Christ, the wives to the husbands. And ladies, by the way, don't think the husbands are getting off, because I'm going to get them in a couple weeks. In a verse or two, he gets them. Okay, he really does. Not in a bad way, but just here's the here is the deal. I told you last time, you can study that last week. We, you can study this stuff about wives and the marriage relationship, and you can say, yeah, that's great, yeah, but you don't know the dude I married. And that is a walk of unbelief when you do that. It's not your faith, it's your flesh that says the yeah, but faith says, here's what the verses say, let me do what the verses say to do. Okay. All right, got to get back on topic here. 121. For to me to live is is who? Is Christ. Notice how Paul says this, for to me, to Paul, to live is Christ. To die is what? Gain. You see Paul's thinking was what? Christ, he's my mind set, isn't he? He's my thinking, he's my life. How is the church subject to Christ? He's my life. Chapter two, verse five. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. You know what? He's my mindset. He's my thinking. How would he think in this situation? How I'm sitting there with Ricky yesterday, bought a new car, and I'm like, you know, and and the the, the poor lady, she was a sales lady, just yacked the whole time. You know, three hours. It's like, where's the energizer bunny? Finally, she said, excuse me, I got to go do something. I said, oh, please go do something. know, I didn't say that to her. I was nice. But I'm thinking it, you know, you two. But you know what? I'm sitting there going, how would Christ respond in this situation? He would say what? He would just be silent probably. He would offer 2000 less. There you go. No, he would say what? Oh, please go do what you need to do, which is what I said to her. Oh, no, go ahead. That's okay. You know. You see, what did Christ say? He's my what? He's my life. What's the church say to Christ? He's my life. He's my mind. Chapter 3, verse number 10 that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. He's my goal in life. I want to know Him. Not only do I want to have Him as my life and my thinking process, but I want to get to know Him uh, deeper and deeper. Chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. He's my strength in this new life. You see, as the church becomes subject to Christ, what did the church do? What's Galatians 2.20 say? I am crucified with, with Christ. Nevertheless, what? I live, yet not I, but Christ. What does the church say? I'm subject to him. He's my everything. I find all of my life in him. You see, that's what the church is subject to Christ. Ladies, as that is the case, so then is the wives to the husbands. And you know what your wives have to say? He's my life. I find all of my life in you, honey. And that's where the whoa, buddy, wait a minute stuff comes in. Come over to Ephesians 1. Therefore, as the church is subject to the Christ, so also is the wives to her own husbands. What's Ephesians 1, 3 say? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Where? Where's my blessings? <laughs> it's in Christ. Verse 6, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made me accepted in the Beloved. Where's my acceptance? In my husband. No. It's where? In the beloved, right? Oh, but he is my beloved. Oh, he's so special. He's such a <laughs> Yeah, give it some time. Love is blind, but marriage is a great eye opener, they say, you know. See, the thing is again, not joking with Stan. What's where's my acceptance? It's in him. Verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the what? Where's my forgiveness at? It's in him, isn't it? It's through his blood. It's in him. You see, sometimes our spouses don't accept us, the other spouse. Sometimes they don't forgive. But where do I always have my forgiveness and my acceptance? It's in Christ. So the church is what? The church says he is my life. And the illustration here for the wives is just as you find your life in Christ, your acceptance in him, your forgiveness in him, your identity in him, now you're going to do the same thing with your husband. You're simply to find all of your life in your husband. And that's where the rub comes, 2 Corinthians 5. And that's where the wait a minute, buddy, you don't know him comes in. Yeah, but you don't know what he did 13 years ago. You don't know what he did 25 years ago. You don't know what he did. You know, you know the old saying, my wife and I, we were happy for 25 years and then we met. Hey, look, they come, don't they? You see? You have to understand, that becomes a... Well, we're all good till right here, aren't we? What's the rule? 5.24, what's the rule? As and so. 2 Corinthians 5, that's where you need to be. There's no 25 in 2 Corinthians 5. You can quit looking. Ephesians 5. You see? You see, this is the rule, ladies. This is the, and again, I understand this is where the rub comes in. But here's where you, wives, have to walk by faith. And the reason for the yeah buts is that your flesh has gotten involved in the equation. And it's not your faith. Your flesh has eked in, not your faith. Because usually what we're told then is, if that's the case, if he is to be my life, then I've lost my dignity. I've lost my equality. I've lost who I am. And the answer to all that is, no, you didn't. You, when you subjected yourself to another, submitted. You're doing exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did when he went to Calvary. In the garden, he says, not my will, but thy will, Father. I come to do thy will. And what you're doing, ladies, when you say, you know what, as the wife, I'm going to go and do and be who I am as the wife, you are demonstrating what it is to be filled with the Spirit. Not a less or a loss of. You fill in the blank. you got some weird ones out there. But rather a, you know what, I chose him. I told you last week, you bought the dude. With your body, with your mind, with your commitment. He's yours, warts and all. And you're to have him become your life. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, For the love of Christ constraineth us, Because we thus judge. Here's how we think about this. The love of Christ is going to constrain us because we think a certain way. How do we think? That if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died from them and rose again. There it is. There's the motivation, ladies. It's called the love of Christ. Not not your love for Christ, but his love. And if you think about that, the motivation for the the wife to function as the help meet for her husband to find her life in her husband is what? The love of Christ constrains us. Just as the church is constrained by the love of Christ, so is the wife constrained the same way to be subject to her husband. How did he love you? Come over to Romans 5. I've said this time time to time. You need to preach the gospel to yourself daily because it helps you to remember some things. Look at at Romans 5, verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. You were what? What were you? What was your condition? Without strength. Ungodly. You weren't a nice guy. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, what did he do? He died for us. Christ came and did something for you that you never expected or asked him to do, and he just willingly came to do it. That's the love of Christ constraining you. That's the motivation. Come back to Ephesians 5. Ladies, if if you focus your attention and fight about his inadequacies, and his failures. And as old Clint would say, nag, nag, nag. <laughs> you know what's going to happen? You're not going to be doing your job as a wife. Rather, you're going to, I know of no man in all my years of dealing with, pe- with married people, I know no man who changes after the wife has done beat him up verbally for his, ina- his inadequacies. You follow that? Actually, what I've seen men do is dig in deeper and harsher. Because man is attracted, men are attracted by love and affection. Remember 533? What's the greatest need of the wife? To be loved and the greatest need of the husband is to be what? Reverenced? Well, the only person who's deserving of reverence is God. But if I'm doing it under my... Husband, as unto the Lord, then I'm good to go. See? If you spend your time, your attention on his inadequacies and beating him over the head with it, you're going to fail. Both of you will, literally. But rather, if you love and support him in and with all of his inadequacies, because we have them. I mean, if a guy says he doesn't, he's just hadn't been alive long enough. Without trying to take charge of the moment, without beating him up, both of you will grow. Both of you will mature. Ladies, you can't demand your husband to love and to cherish you because he ought to. You love me because you're my husband. You know what? He already knows that. He knows he ought to love you. He knows he ought to cherish you. But when you make a demand as that, you are putting him under unrealistic expectations. We call it the law. Legalism. And the law says, I have expectations and if you don't meet them, then I'm going to pop you. The law says, do it or else. So what do the ladies do? Do it or else. You know what God's grace says? Do you know what his cross work says? I already did all that. Grace says you expect him to be something he's not, and that's perfect. And the only place and the only thing, the only person that can make him perfect is Calvary, and it's Christ. Christ. And that's the key. As the church, so are the wives. Ladies, men are simple. They're simple creatures. We are attracted to what builds us up. And you know what? That's exactly what a helpmeet is. That's what a companion is. That's what a friend is. Think about that. A friend, a companion, a help me, to someone he never tires of being with and around. And ladies, that only comes when you're doing your role as a wife. As someone who's chosen, stood there by God, in front of God, in front of family and friends in a wedding. By the way, that, the cleaving, that's why we have a wedding ceremony Cleaving, weld it together, make it one. That's why verse 24 is so instructive. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. Notice, in everything. This is only accomplished when it is the love of Christ constraining us where ladies, you make him, wives, you make him your life. It doesn't make you any lesser. It doesn't mean you guys have don't have arguments and have arguments and all this stuff. It's rather you come in and say, you know what? I've chosen in my volition to be his wife, so I'm going to play this role. Here's my job. Gentlemen, husbands... As your wife begins to find her life in you, you have a greater responsibility to provide her the environment where she can do that in. And that becomes the daunting task of the rest of this chapter. That's why he's going to say down to us men, verse 29, For no man ever hateth his own flesh, Again, what was that? What did Adam say she was? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. But nourish it and cherisheth it, that even as the Lord the church. That's why he says that. Guys, you by faith have to look at her and make her the best wife she can be. Because what is she doing? She's doing verse 24, making you her life and the best husband you can be. Room's quiet. That's how daunting this is. It's not something to be entered into lightly, the preachers will say in the wedding ceremonies. By the way, look at verse 33. How does verse 33 end in your Bible? What punctuation is there? The marriage is the husband and the wife, period. It is not the children, Six one children. The marriage is where husband and wife, not mom and dad. Husband and wife, get the terms right. The parents is mom and dad. The father is dad, but the marriage is mom is husband and mom is husband and wife. And her job, her role, is to come along and to provide him an environment where she is his help meet. For him now we kind of skipped an item in verse 23 about headship and we'll talk about that next time as we begin to talk then about the husbands in verse 25 because the issue of headship is a great issue that is greatly misunderstood but ladies you have a job your job as a wife is to is to play the role of a wife If you're playing, if the husband is doing his job, loving his wife, providing, doing, then the wife will naturally want to live in that environment. If the husband is not doing his job, what does the wife naturally gonna do? Not live in that environment. Okay? But ladies, if the husband isn't doing his job, and you by faith choose to do your job, guess what's going to happen to him? He will naturally change because he will see what a spirit-filled wife looks like and then you will do, as Romans 12 says, heap coals of fire on his head, ashes on his head because what is he not doing? And And he will realize it on his own. Never for you to ever have to say, you're not doing your job. You follow that? You see? It takes both of them doing their jobs. I'm just trying to get you to see your job, okay? Hopefully I didn't dig a hole too deep. But you have to understand what's going on here. Paul takes us back to the garden. He doesn't take us to Abraham and Sarah. He takes us, well, it wasn't Abraham and Sarah. He doesn't take us back to Moses. He takes us back to Adam. And he says, here's the role of a wife. And then we'll talk about the role of the husband. Next week we'll talk about headship a little bit. And we'll get into the husbands and beat on the husbands for a while. Right? Okay. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for the instructions here. So that as we see the roles that are to be played in society, in our lives, we would play them according to your word, not according to what we think, but rather walk by faith in what your word says to us. In your name we pray. Amen.